Paula, why we are sitting here talking about diversity? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lena Nahlus from Diversity Arts Australia, or DARTS for short, and welcome to the Fair Play season of The Colour Cycle, recorded live at our 2019 Fair Play Symposium at the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne. You can't be in the room for everything, so we're bringing you the best talks and panels from this groundbreaking two-day event. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This was recorded on the lands of the Boomerang and the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, which was also where the Fair Play Symposium was held. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Baramadigal of the Darug Nation. It was with clear passion, and let's be honest, anger, that Dr Paula Aboud and Asil Taya approached conversations about diversity in the arts. They say, after years of the conversation going around in circles, it's starting to feel like a monologue, only reaching an audience of our own communities. Asil Taya is a Palestinian creative director and installation artist. Arriving in Australia five years ago, Asil used her art as a tool for survival, but she's also experienced the resistance against diverse language and art in this country. In Asil's experience... When applying for funding, the process is not tolerant of people from migrant backgrounds, and it's even less accommodating for those pitching art that is deemed not relevant for Australian audiences. Paula Aboud is a writer, creative producer and educator, and a leading figure in the space for 30 years. In this conversation, very appropriately dubbed the diversity monologues, Paula says that the first step is restructuring the entire funding regime where currently the major organisations take the bulk of the money, while the small to medium sector, where diversity flourishes, is left with the crumbs. We are going to start, because it's uh, depending on what side of um, the spectrum you're on, it's either kindy hour or nana nap hour. We're going to um, start with a song, a seal. Would you like to... Um, not put people to sleep, but maybe let's hear a mother tongue other than that foreign language English, the, col the language of the coloniser. I'm not known to put people to sleep, but that's fine. <laughs> well, um, beautifully. Thank you. Um, I'm really um, happy to be sitting next to this brilliant woman here and so happy to be invited to be in this panel with her. Um, and I am choosing a um, song from Syria, a, a song for those uh, warriors as well that have fought another kind of occupation in our land. Uh, as a Palestinian and as a raising a child, a Syrian child, I just feel that responsibility to keep sharing my culture and her culture just so she one day come back and go back to her country and be proud that she is who she is, a Palestinian Syrian poor girl that is living few occupations together and on a land that is occupied. <laughs> Les joueurs d'un raté, où 
Why are we are sitting here talking about diversity? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Probably one answer to that is how often do we hear um, Arabic um, in the public space? And especially in the last, I guess for me, in my activism and community work and as a Arab feminist um, writer, um, you know, the Arabic language is so demonised in the public space. Um, so that's one reason why we're still talking about diversity. But I guess I want to kind of go to the title, Monologues. You know, in a, in a way, we decided it's a bit ironic because here's two Arab women on stage in the afternoon. And in some ways, you could say, look, we're having a dialogue, aren't we? But I guess we chose monologue as a, a broad statement, an ironic gesture towards um, the whole idea of talking about diversity. After 30 years for me in this space of talking about diversity, it feels like a monologue. It feels like I've been talking to myself, to my people. And my people, when I say my people, are those who... Um, share some form of oppressive um, systemic discrimination, outsider status, if you like, exiles, those who refuse to be part of systems. Um, so in some ways, um, today what we want to do is actually draw on a little bit of history. Some people have done that today. I want to kind of add... Um, Eleanor started by saying, what can we give... Um, as an activist of 30 years in the multicultural community, cultural, art space, what I can give and what I always try and give as a teacher and a community advocate is knowledge and stories. And so part of this is our stories from a perspective that spans 30 years. I have been here for five years and every time I mention something to Paula... So like yes, we, like for me, like every topic that people talk about is kind of new. Like I don't even know how long people have been talking about things, and I always assume that I'm coming with a new kind of thing that I'm angry about. But it feels like it's like 30s or like 40s people are, and like so like for the last like two weeks, I'm like whenever I come up with something and like I think like I'm a genius, it just not. Not really. <laughs> and like whenever I come with an idea, people have thought about it before. So that's kind of one of the things I really, like that's kind of what makes me feel kind of why we are like, why is it like going so long? What, like why people cannot really bring these ideas into action more? Like how many symposiums or ideas like have been done since I've been to Brisbane, for example, or like all these kind of talks and symposium, why people cannot really go from here, like Veronica said, and go and really do an action and not just look for their job and be individual, but kind of really think about their own, what, why they're really in the art, why we just, once we step our feet there, and we are not artists that are passionate so much, and we are in a position of power, we really forget about all the history of passion that we have been into, and like that brought us to our leadership, Position, we suddenly just forget about that life. Mm. And 
I mean, what you kind of said reminded me of our internal... I have several kinds of spaces where I have these conversations. We have internal dialogues. We have internal kitchen table, if you like, um, conversations, and we have public conversations. And often they're very different kinds of conversations. And so I guess I want to track a little bit of... The diversity. I wanted to actually to start with this quote by a Nigerian American um, writer, Nadi Okorafor, and this kind of goes to the heart of if we're you know what when we're talking about diversity conversations. This is precisely what I think happens and has happened in the last thirty years, as an activist, as an artist myself, that's been forced into, I guess, the diversity advocacy space. And, you know, I write, but I've had to fight in order to be able to write what I want to write. So Nehedi says, it is the essence of all things to move and change and keep going forward and backward and around. And that kind of sums up the diversity discourse, if you like, that space. And I feel in the last few years we've gone, if you like, around. I feel like we're, we're going around in circles. I have memories of times where we did go, first, uh, go forward. I have very strong memories, physical, emotional memories of the backward, the backslide. So that's probably why we're still talking because um, it's never kind of moved beyond the talk. There have been um, spaces that have been forged from the ground and I really want to acknowledge most of the changes we've seen have come from grassroots, have come from artists, have come from communities, have come from social movements, First Nations civil rights, queer movements, post-colonial feminist movements, environment movements. So, you know, it's come from the ground and we need to acknowledge that the change is us I put this quote up, it's a bit of a, um, I'm not going to read it completely, but I actually want us to deal with the politics of diversity in some way. We've talked a lot about diversity, but there's a part you were talking about. I don't know all this history because it is a politics, it's about power. Politics is always about power. But I guess my sense of um, the going around in circles is under neoliberalism and I kind of in the multicultural space have actively fought against what we ended up with is a, a neoliberal multiculturalism where everything's reduced to the individual, everything's commodified. And in Alana Lenton and Gavin Titley's quote basically talk about, um, you know, under neoliberalism, diversity really does get reduced or foregrounds the diverse subject who is autonomous, meaning individualised and non-conflictual. So the second quote is really goes to the heart of the kind of work we do, the good and bad subjects. So in what's, for me, um, the problematics of diversity. And I, I agree with Deb's uh, thinking around diversity. I love that word. That word's come from us. It's been appropriated and institutionalised. And I think when words become institutionalised, they go west. But it's our job to reclaim and 
re like community engagement's been completely um, appropriated as well. But these are our words, and I refuse to hand over the words that have been fought for in people's blood. So I guess in, in the institutionalised context in Australia, diversity we know is publicly and officially celebrated, yet the kind of diversity that gets celebrated is where not everybody qualifies to be recognised as the right kind of diverse subject. What's your sense of that in your space? Well, I, like, I just think around about and what make me feel like I need to do more of it mm -hmm. and how much the organisations around me are really supportive of the different art we are making and the kind of um, the good and bad like diversity and like I like I've been here five years but I have seen enough kind of um, like fights from us the artists to kind of be us and be mm. there and uh, also be kind of recognized as who we are and what we really bring and change and like it's um it's kind of sad to be kind of warned from different people and artists not to collaborate with different institutions, not to do things because like whatever I bring as an artist, as an individual, as a passionate person kind of become another kind of thing of research and it just goes in there, in the, in the books and it disappears. And then people some, from somewhere come and talk about it and like claim it as their own kind of ideas and all kind of passion and all kind of new invention that we have spoken about five years ago. So, like this is kind of and I have been as I said like just five years here and have been an, a kind of um, an evidence to all these stories sad stories and heard about all these kind of sad uh, mistakes or like treatments from organizations around that just kind of take for granted this kind of poor, I mean, by poor, like, not really having any power, like, powerless artists that come and, like, with all the passion, come and share and, like, like throw all their kind of ideas and things to these kind of big institutions and just disappear. And no one knows about them. And they kind of try and try and try and never be heard and then just kind of lose hope just before they can get there. So... Like, of, yeah, like I have lots of... Um, and that, heart. for me, is a, a really big issue, especially for first generation. Um, I work with a lot of recently arrived refugee artists who always say there is no space to be because if second and third generation, you know, um, artists struggle with the system who've been socialised in schools here, so English effectively becomes, you know, a bilingual maybe um, setting, but certainly know the context. If you're newly arrived, you know, and you're an artist, it's almost Im impenetrable, the, the barriers that exist. And what this really goes to the heart of is I've always had... Um, a political issue with the whole notion of celebrating diversity because that's the good diversity. The bad diversity is when we demand that institutions and gatekeepers basically engage with the, the stories we want to tell, whether they're around social justice. They actually, and I kind of have said before, we want to stick around in the foyer of diversity. We don't want to go to the basement of diversity. Um, and this is a really important point for us because we are constantly told what stories are palatable for a particular audience. 
If I'm allowed to share one of the stories I have here, and I'm looking at someone that I'm telling her story, I am. Um, I found a small kind of a project that's going wild now called Bookje, and I have here two of my most beautiful artists and uh, one of them that was born here and raised here and um, she's a brilliant artist and spoken word and a singer and her first language is Arabic but she has never really shared any of her songs or sang in her language and I get into tears because like she has a beauty, the most beautiful voices and she just never sang it because like it's not really um, welcomed it's not really something that is, you know, I think in Arabic, I insist. And, like, I know it's something that doesn't really happen often. Mm. I think in my own language. And, man, I don't really care if you understand it or not. Like, you could understand or not what I'm singing, but I am singing in my language with my love. If you don't really hear it with your hearts, you better not listen to me because that's all I can give. And, like, with her, I also, like, listen to it. And, like, regardless if I know the language, I just, like, heard from her, Asil, but no one ever asked me to sing in my own language. And once she starts, you cannot really start listening to her and I was one day at FCAC which is my I call my home and I got an artist coming to me that I never seen before that said Asil two years ago I now have my own whole project in my own Latin language just because I heard you singing in your own language man just let them these people just do what they want without telling them that they're not Australian enough because what is Australia if it's not all of these stories, all these refugees, all these journeys, all these catastrophes and crises, like this is what made Australia diverse or whatever diverse is and people just ignore all diversity and focus on what is the mainstream mm -hmm. like, like the mainstream is us and whatever else is just not really Australian, you know, like, like you cannot just stop thinking about that because we make this beautiful place and you just don't see it because you want the movement to be used and the sound to be used and the language to be English and just really don't listen to other beautiful languages. That for me is much nicer than English, mm. but just people don't really listen to it. You know, people stare at you in every place you go because you just, you know different which is that we are all different but people don't really see that mm. so like once I had this beautiful lady singing I I had people like Arabs that stayed and saw three shows in a row that each one have two hours difference between them like 10 or like one hour difference they stayed 10 hours in a place just to listen to something that they listen once in a year to like they didn't want to leave the tent that we built because Man, I wouldn't hear to another Arabic language for a year now. Man, don't kick me out of your place. And mm. that's just the passion of these people. And they're thirsty for a different thing than just an orchestra in a place. Or they're not even invited to those events. So once we create an access place, no one really wants to fund it because it's not really... It's like a community work. So who wants to really fund mm. that? You know? Or like all these kind of... Sorry, I'm just too angry. Uh. <laughs> Anger. Anger is a useful tool I have found in my 30 years of community work. I mean, you talked about access and I've kind of put up a slide about some, I've called it linguistic backslides because that's part of what our struggle is. Um, language is power, we know. And, you know, in the 90s we had multicultural arts policies and the next two slides, which I won't show you, is an old Australia Council multicultural arts policy which actually mentions rights and social justice. You just wouldn't see that now in policy. <laughs> Trust me, I've read them all. But certainly access and equity was official policy in, in the 90s and it kind of 
I'm talking about it because everyone today, we all kind of come together in in kind of agreement that the systemic structural is where we need to go. And certainly access and equity policies really looked at systemic structural change. That's the transformative, sustainable, that's kind of reminds me of an activist that once said, do we politely knock on the door, sit down at the table and have a cup of tea or do we knock the door down, break the table up and create a whole new system which after 30 years I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm there breaking up that table. So I just want to go back. Some of these words I think are important for us to actually think about how we use language. We don't talk about anti-racism in the multicultural space anymore. Everyone talks about harmony. I don't do Harmony Day. I just can't do it. Participation, everyone talks about integration. Integration is a failed policy. Let's not go there. Inclusion is in all contemporary policies. We used to talk about exclusion. When we're talking about exclusion, we're talking about power. If we talk about inclusion, we don't talk about power. And I think it's really important to revisit what our, you know, warriors before us forged this language for a reason. And, you know, the neoliberals have got hold of it and um, kind of... Anyway, we won't go to the policy. I think this is being live captioned, so you can find it if you want to see that old historic policy. But I guess I, I, from what Asil has said, you know, in some ways diversity space is all about one-off projects isn't it? So the standard approach has been and remains a symptom, a focus on symptoms and effects of something like lack of representation rather than the causes, the root causes of inequity and inequality. So what we've been dealing with for 30 years as I have experienced it is that the most narrow perimeters of change have only been possible and allowable. And I think that's really important to acknowledge here today. Let's go to just quickly Asil. We, um, Asil and I found this five faces of oppression, which might be an interesting framework for us all to wrap up. All our panels, I think, have been extraordinary in sharing stories and a history of ideas to take us into the future. Iris Marion Young came up with this five faces of oppression. It kind of speaks to what everyone's been talking about today. And Asil and I, our dialogue or monologues um, with each other and by ourselves, have really centred around these five faces and they kind of go to the heart of our experiences in working with institutions in the broader cultural sector and I'm not just meaning the arts sector, talking about a broader cultural sector. If you work in education or health or one of our questioners works in women's DV sector, you know, we should be working across all those sectors. So exploitation, um, marginalisation, powerlessness, cultural imperialism and violence are the five faces of oppression. And... We could write a book of stories on those. 
I was one of the things I was um, thinking about when I um, not only talking about diversity as as a word, but about kind of um, who counts and how we can do things. As like when I came to Australia, um, 2013, I um, like I had very limited. I spoke three other languages, so why would I bother learning English? And everybody else was really laughing at like the way I structure it, and like I could asking people to correct me. But I like graduated like with excellence, and I came here and like kind of after being kind of the star of the place and the uni, and then coming here to be no one, and no one can see me, and no one can really understand my language, and everybody's correcting my grammar. So and. And then I came here and I came to Melbourne after, like you can imagine, I landed in WA in Bunbury, if you have ever been there, which I really um, struggled. <laughs> uh, but I really, I, after that came to Melbourne and I was part of a play um, that was part, that um, um, was written by Samah Sabawi. And I just kind of saw how much how not much of support such a play. The play was having lots of language. The play was like, I was a singer in the play, but it was a beautiful sold out play. But still then like none of this big like theater, it's not Aladdin, it's not this, it's not that. It's just an Arabic language thing. Who would pick, pick that up or like take this kind of opportunity? And then I saw another play that was written, a beautiful play, just like it will be in two months in, in La Mama, and if you want to see one show, it's have to be them. But she was kind of like part of the MTC, I forgot the program, but like it's just the most beautiful thing, and it's language, and it's lots of diversity, it's bringing so, ma so many artists in there, it's women-led, it's like everything that should touch, but no one gave that a space, and of course it was another kind of white fellows that kind of took that, you know, opportunity and they didn't say anything but they said you know it doesn't really fit there like if the funder came and said they are so impressed by this if if, if who really decides what goes in the mtc theater i'm so, sorry i'm and saying that because it's something that was everywhere like it's just so hard to know and see that things that like artists and art plays and like shows or projects or programs that's really worth being seen by the mainstream, what they call it, by everybody that there's lots of passion for and waiting for years to see, it just doesn't really get the opportunity. Even with book jail, like we have to fight our days every day to be able to show something that all my community is dying for, but man, I cannot pay my artist $150 to be able to stand and do it because I'm not an institute, I'm not kind of organ big organization, I'm not doing what the mainstream wants or like kind of, you know, what called Australian. So like, it's kind of, it's this kind of struggle that I feel like, how can I be an artist that doesn't really know the language? I had one million emails sent to lots of organizations, those ones I won't name, but it's sad when you send asking mentorship. I speak English hardly, kind of now I do, but think about five years ago, I wanted to know what kind of language of grants that, that does really accommodate someone that doesn't speak English fluently or good. Like I wanted to know the language of like politics of the art and how can I trigger the artist in the panels that is giving the money. I had to fight very hard on one of the panels for a grant that was given like there was two grants in in the sh in this panel, and one is by indiv uh, individuals um, refugees from refugee background that wanted to tell stories, and they had a small video taken by their phones, but they were so real they are telling their stories. And in the other side, there was a grant for like was five thousand dollars, and the other side was three like 
Australians uh, wanting to tell the stories of these refugees and asking for $20,000 and the Palin wanted to give the $20,000. What? Like, why? Like, you know, they're just like, I had to fight it. On my body, you are giving this grant. I will go out and tell everybody about it. No way. So I was really angry because this is kind of what's happening. There's one-on-one accommodating. What's, who tells the stories? Like, who really have the right to share this kind of why people should tell our stories. Let us do it our language, our way, our movements, our passion. Why you have to be a part of everything we do. Just let us give it on, you know? Like, give us a space. So this is kind of one story. And imagine how many kind of art organizations, funding bodies, go through this every day and they just give it to the wrong people. Like, not because they're wrong. They might have amazing passion. It just, man... Can we just do it ourselves? You know, can we just tell our stories our ways? Because while someone else tells the stories, there's lots of details that is important for us. You forget, you don't really give attention to, you don't really focus on because you are focused on what you want to hear, what your people want to hear, what we want to tell. It's totally different. Just let us do it ourselves. Sorry, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting angry every time I talk about these things. <laughs> so. so we've got one minute. Oh, God. No. That these are our stories. Um, special victors unit here. Um, these are our stories. We wanted kind of to end on a couple of quotes um, from women we love, um, women of colour. Um, the only last comment I want to make as, as someone who's been in this space for 30 years and worked in solidarity intersectionally across um, all kind of different forms of oppression um, with mostly migrant and refugee communities but certainly in solidarity with First Nations people and people with disability and LGBTQI communities. Um, My sense of the structures that I hope it comes up tomorrow in this forum is the whole funding regime is, is simply got to be restructured so that major performing organisations take the bulk of money and the small to medium sector where diversity flourishes and is nurtured get the crumbs. So I I would really like to see that come up as a big issue tomorrow that if we're talking about systemic structural change, we really need to have what I would call cultural equity and uh, um, resource, um, moving resources Um, more equitably, at least. Let's finish with these quotes. I'm going to read the first one and Asil's going to read the second one. The first one is from Audre Lorde. Um, The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. She writes, Those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to stand alone, sometimes reviled, how to make common cause with those other identified as outside the structures in order to define, sorry, to seek a world in which we can all flourish. We want to flourish. The second quote. I don't know if I'm up to telling you this tale, if it were easier, more constant, if I could be promised that every word would be understood, every meaning appreciated. I have to cry it out and hope it finds its way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
That was Dr. Paula Abud and Asil Taya speaking at the Fair Play Symposium held in Melbourne in February 2019. Thanks for listening to The Colour Cycle, a podcast series made by Diversity Arts Australia, an organisation that advocates for more cultural diversity in Australia's arts and screen sectors and works in partnership and solidarity with other social movements and communities. Listen free wherever you download your favourite podcasts or visit our website for more information, videos and resources, diversityarts.org.au. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and send us your thoughts, comments and feedback. Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at info at diversityarts.org.au. Please help us to keep this podcast going by making a small donation through Patreon and become a Colour Cycle patron. Any size donation is welcome and this will help us share experiences and strategies from artists and insiders. Find us at patreon.com slash diversity arts Australia. Thank you to Paula Abud and Asil Taya and to the symposium production team, Eugenia Flynn, Sonia Mermand, Junyi Kwok, Jinghua Quien, Margaret Mayhew and Monique Choi. Thank you also to our Fair Play Symposium partners and supporters, Creative Victoria, the Wheeler Centre, the British Council, AI Media, Feral Arts and Arts Front, Arts Access Victoria, Koori Heritage Trust, Regional Arts Victoria, Multicultural Arts Victoria and Screen Australia. Thank you also to our organisational sponsor, Information and Cultural Exchange, for providing us with a home and studio in which to make this podcast. Thank you to legendary hip-hop and soul artist MC Trey for her track Daily. This podcast was produced by Jennifer Macy and Brianna Kennedy. I'm Lena Nahlus. Thanks for listening and yalla bye. Well, lately I've been wondering about what's been going on On the local, on the global, all across the horizon At the rising of the dawn